You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. Courtney Cronin, Mike Rothstein, dressed in our Jeff Dickerson attire. No leather boots, no snakeskin, whatever Michelle was wearing that day. Sounds much fancier than the two of us right now. Evan, Canty, Michelle, off until the new year. But you've got us for the rest of the week here on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. So we've got a Thursday night game, the last one of the year between the Jets and the Browns, the almost playoff-bound Browns. If they win tonight or if they tie, that is their easiest path into the postseason. And for this team to have overcome everything it did this year, four different quarterbacks, Mike, starting for the Cleveland Browns, it's Joe Flacco again tonight, his fifth straight start for Cleveland. And he's won all four of them that he's played before. So I... I think, I mean, you and I have talked about Kevin Stavansky as as the coach of the year candidate feels like almost a shoo-in at this point. But for this team to get into the postseason, given what's happened the last couple years, which necessitated a quarterback change, and that quarterback, Deshaun Watson, did not get them into the playoffs last year and has been out now for a couple of weeks. Like, we talk about the future in Cleveland at the quarterback position and in the fact that Joe Flacco, who signed a one-year deal to go into next year too, is now part of the of the scenario. It feels like, at worst, that's a great fail-safe for this team, assuming they're able to get themselves into the AFC playoff picture against a listless Jets team at this point. You know, I mean, Cleveland's clearly in the AFC playoff picture at the, this point, but what it has really done in a lot of ways is – it's been smart because look at this year around the NFL. This is the year of the backup quarterback in the NFL. So many teams for either performance reasons or injury reasons are starting backup quarterbacks. And there has long been the conversation of there is a quarterbacking problem in the league, much like there's an offensive lineman problem in the league. It's why the developmental leagues like the XFL, the USFL, the F- league formerly known as the Alliance of American Football back in 2019, there was a hope that this would work out because it was a place that quarterbacks and offensive linemen can develop in a lower pressure stage with actual reps. Signing a guy like Joe Flacco to be your backup as a known quantity, especially where in a lot of places he could definitely be competing for a starting job, that's a big win for Cleveland. It is. It's a big win for Cleveland, and if Flacco's able to go elsewhere like and compete for a starting job, that's a big win for that team because you're getting one of the best backups in the NFL, and that is a key crucial position on a multitude of levels, Courtney, both from an on-field perspective and also from an off-field mm-hmm. perspective because, as you know, because we've talked about this, the one of the biggest jobs of the backup quarterback is actually helping the starter get ready for Sunday. It is, and he's, he's been through that at multiple junctures of his career. And I thought it was interesting when he talked about the Jets yesterday. Remember, that's the team he was with for a portion of the 2022 season, played some games for them. They decided not to re-sign him this year. 
he said there's no hard feelings when he was talking about this quote-unquote revenge game that he's facing tonight. But imagine, like, I can't help but think, like, imagine where the Jets may be had they called Joe Flacco, who didn't go anywhere in the NFL this year until after the halfway point of the season when he gets the call from the Cleveland Browns. This was after they decided to shut Deshaun Watson down for the rest of the year. They tried Dorian Thompson-Robinson for a hot second. Didn't seem like that was working. I know that he, the win against the Pittsburgh Steelers, like close win. He like yeah. did not have a great game. But like they decided, okay, we need an upgrade at the quarterback position. Joe Flacco was sitting out there for a really long time and available. The Jets could have made that call, and it makes me think, I'm not trying to center everything around Aaron Rodgers here this morning, but it does make me think, had had that gone differently, that decision gone differently, maybe they didn't believe in the false hope that Aaron Rodgers was going to come back and they would have re-signed Joe Flacco. Yeah, I know he's playing behind. He would be playing behind that offensive line, which is not a great offensive line for the for the New York Jets, but how many backups of backups has he played behind on this Cleveland offensive line that has consistently been dealing with rotating personnel up front? You can't tell me it's that much different. Yet for some reason, he's been able to have 300-yard passing game after 300-yard passing game and put this team in a position to get into the postseason not solely because of its defense. I mean, it's a huge part of it, but the offense is doing its job. He's unlocking a version of Amari Cooper we haven't seen in years. And I think that that speaks to what he has been, how he's been able to prepare himself, how he's been able to play at this level consistently over the last couple of years as he's entered this like phase of his career. And that's a really, you know, you got to give Andrew Barry, the general manager and his staff, a lot of credit in Cleveland for, for scouting this untapped potential within their, for their offense and being able to see it come to fruition here late in the season. Uh, I mean, you might be giving Andrew Barry a lot of credit here because maybe too much credit because Joe Flacco was sitting there when they were starting Dorian Thompson Robinson as well. And they were going through some of their and they were starting P.J. Walker. Joe Flacco was still hanging out on his couch. And he again, he ends up on the Browns practice squad, ends up becoming their starting quarterback, signs a deal through the rest of their season. He will be a free agent going into next year, though, in 2024, which is a really interesting scenario because he's 39 years old. But the way he's playing now is better than a lot of teams starting quarterback situations. So if you're, say, a team that drafts not Caleb Williams or Drake May, because those guys are probably going to be pushed into a situation where they're starting right away. But say you take a quarterback in the middle of the first round, right? Like say, say Jaden Daniels, I don't think he'll fall down there, but say he falls down there. Signing Joe Flacco as the backup mentor slash maybe guy who starts the season and at some point seeds, or worst case, goes through that whole rookie year because he's playing well, and then you go to him like Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, and you give him time to watch and learn, that's a perfect scenario for you. So all of a sudden, Joe Flacco, if he wants to play next year, which we don't know if he definitely does, that, A, might get him a lot of money, and B, might set him up where he becomes attractive to a lot of teams. Right now, he's making a little bit extra money. I believe it's seventy-five thousand dollars per it's not win. Much. It's so not much, yeah, but still, but that's still not bad. Considerable. Yeah, he's For making someone who's made one hundred and seventy-five million dollars in his career. That's more of a drop in the bucket, but it is. To but come hey, from you're... off of the couch to make a salary like that each game, it's considerable in that respect. But like, I'm going to push yeah. back on something when you say like, oh, like Andrew Barry, we're not, we don't need to necessarily give him that much credit. Joe Douglas could have made the same decision, Mike, and he didn't. You had 
Trevor, you have Trevor Simeon starting this game tonight. You had Zach Wilson starting other games. You had Tim Boyle, Tim freaking Boyle starting games that, you know, they were kind of still not, I'm not going to even use the word in the hunt here, but they were a team that still had something to play for because we didn't know about Rodgers. We didn't know what was going to happen down the stretch until he told us last week. But that Thanksgiving or that day after Thanksgiving game, wouldn't you have rather had Joe Flacco in your offense than Tim Boyle? Yes. The answer yes. is unequivocally I, The answer yes. to that question and is yes. The but... ego for them got in the way because they didn't want to upset Aaron Rodgers for whatever godforsaken reason by going out and getting an actual viable backup quarterback. Because once we saw Zach Wilson have to go in for Aaron Rodgers, it was a wrap at that point. That was the beginning of the season, and they and they still didn't do anything with it. So that's an indictment on them and where they stand, and I do think that Cleveland deserves quite a bit of credit here for seeing a guy that was sitting out there. I mean, Colt McCoy was a name that was also floated. There are several. Carson Wentz, who's now with the Los Angeles Rams. It takes, it takes a strong individual, a strong quarterback, to be able to be sitting around keeping himself in shape, and then be willing and ready to go wherever when the call comes in, but not, like, take time to get up to speed, like, go right away into it. And that's exactly what he did for the Cleveland Browns in his first start and has been able to roll through here for the last couple of games now going into his fifth start. I just wonder what you brought up. Like, you know, his contract's only through this year. They signed him technically, like, one-year deal, but it, you know, expires after the 2023 season. Can they possibly bring him back next year? Like, I just, they I think could. about the room with Deshaun Watson. Like, that doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like the, the, the most concrete solution when you have an alpha in Deshaun Watson. You know, somebody who they paid a crap ton of money towards. Like, it's going to be his job. But what if we get the bad Deshaun Watson the, on the field? Like, and they see this again, they're like, oh man, this is a sunk cost. Could you have a Joe Flacco in that room again? I mean, you could, but if I'm Joe Flacco and I want to play next year, like that's the first part of this equation at 39, whether he wants to play, there might be better opportunities for you to become the actual starter or to more realistically compete for a starting job because there's 235 million reasons why Deshaun Watson is going to be the starting quarterback in Cleveland next year, really, no matter how Joe Flacco plays, unless they just decide that they are – Willing to sink that Deshaun Watson stuff, and the only way I would see that is if, say, Joe Flacco goes and wins the Super Bowl. Like, like if, if he does that, then you have a real question on your hands, but it's a great problem to have here at Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry. Going back to the Jets portion of this, Courtney, because you brought it up, it is entirely possible that Joe Douglas decided and Robert Sala decided they didn't want to go with Joe Flacco because his numbers in New York were bad. He, they, he started nine games in New York over three seasons. He was one and eight in those games. Now, the touchdown-interception ratio was pretty good there, right? Like 14 touchdowns, six picks. But he only completed less than 58% of his passes. So it is possible that they saw that and they said, you know what, I don't know if that's that big of an upgrade over Zach Wilson. So we're going to go with Zach Wilson and then... Once that quarterback kind of carousel kept going, by the time Joe Flacco would have gotten up to speed in a week or two, because remember it took a couple week, a week or so on the practice squad, mm-hmm. they were hoping maybe Zach Wilson would come back again. This was like the first time he got hurt, right? Not not the second or third. So that I think that could have been part of the calculus for the Jets. That's just me speaking off of hypothesis, not anything factual. But 
there are other teams. Minnesota has started four quarterbacks this year. They could have gone to Joe Flacco. There's a bunch of teams that theoretically could have looked to Joe Flacco due to injury that didn't, but Cleveland did. So props to Andrew Barry for that, but let's not pretend he brought him in in week two and had this grant plan. All right. In 15 minutes, we will go out to Cleveland, dive into this game, this Thursday night game between the Jets and the Browns a little bit further and figure out what could be next for Joe Flacco. Maybe there is a path that we're not seeing here. He also is going to be 39 years old. Like there is a life after football that he may be exploring, but he certainly is not playing like somebody who is about to retire anytime soon. But straight ahead, what grade would we give Sean Payton for his progress in Denver in year one? It might surprise you. It's coming up next on Sportsman like ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash unsportsmanlike today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash unsportsmanlike. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus! Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-B-I-K-S.com. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. Courtney Cronin, Mike Rothstein sitting in for Evan Canty and Michelle here on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app Unsportsmanlike. As always, presented by Progressive Insurance, insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save, 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. So there was a benching yesterday. There were several, actually, across the league. Washington made a quarterback switch. We know that the Giants are rolling with Tyrod Taylor again after the benching they made on Christmas Day at halftime. The Denver Broncos, though, are the big storyline here, Mike, when we hear about Russell Wilson and some reports that the Broncos had been trending this direction for a while. Well, they pulled the strings on it yesterday. Wilson to the bench. Jared Stidham, the quote-unquote spark that uh, is supposed to lead the 7-8 team to a win over the Chargers in Week 17. And the idea here is that Russell Wilson is getting dunked on from all angles. And this has happened for a while because it's been 
necessitated by his head coach. He has certainly put his quarterback in a tough situation. Whoa. But I, I can understand the frustrations of Sean Payton coming to Denver, trying to fix Russell Wilson, but he's not able to. But the way that this thing played out, you've got a quarterback who's going to end up making a ton of money when inevitably the Denver Broncos are going to have to cut him. And Sean Payton then remain like he wins out here. He's the one who stays in the years after Russell Wilson. And we knew that was going to be by design when he came in. But I just I'm a little surprised by the discourse that is not currently around the head coach of the Denver Broncos. I get it. But don't forget, Russell Wilson did this to himself in some ways, too. Because Russell Wilson has portrayed a certain persona for a while. And remember, Broncos country, let's ride. Like, that was a whole th- joke last year. Like, it became a meme. It became, like, really, like, stop saying this. You know, there's been stories for years about Russell Wilson in locker rooms and how that goes. And, and the first year in Denver. Like, there was a lot that Sean Payton had to do to kind of put the culture he wants, the culture that the Broncos want in that building and some of that might go counter to what Russell Wilson does mm-hmm. and and that's part of it and that's why you hired Sean Payton was because you weren't happy with the on-field product that you got with Nathaniel Hackett and before that with Vic Fangio and then even more so you wanted to reset a culture and maybe get more out of the quarterback that you paid all this money to. And now it's very clear they're realizing that that was maybe a mistake. But Sean Payton's not blameless in all this because he took this job knowing full well what he was walking into. And then I don't think there was a reason to berate Russell Wilson on the sidelines like he did on Sunday. That, (laughs) That to me was maybe a bridge too far for him. There was no need to really go and do that because you knew both of you knew the situations you were walking in the Denver uh, Detroit game when he's seen screaming in the direction you don't see who it is at first and then you find out it was Russell Wilson who was on the receiving end of that the game that they lost two weeks ago not a great look for the head coach but that element you brought up the culture what it Sean Payton's trying to instill maybe some undoing he had to do when he got to Denver That's a topic of conversation. We've been asking you this morning on the Dr. Pepper call-in line about the job Sean Payton has done. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. And we had two guests on here earlier with two vastly different opinions (laughs) on the head coach of the Denver Broncos in year one. Let's first hear from Mark Schlereth. Three-time Super Bowl champion, host of the Stinkin' Truth podcast. You can also hear him, 104.3, the fan in Denver. This is what he had to say about the progress Sean Payton has made in his first year with the Broncos. Like, I know that he's taken a lot of heat, and and yeah, I would give him a, a B, A-. minus. Like the, the culture of this organization has not been good. The ownership issues have been real, and a lot of the things he's come in and set, you know, he set, he gave them a chance to, to win and to, to reestablish a culture, and then he's holding guys accountable. And that's, that, to me, is big. So I probably A minus. I think he's done a really good job. Okay, so that was Mark Schlereth in his opinion on Sean Payton. Damian Woody, ESPN NFL analyst who was joining us from the Seaport, had this to say about Sean Payton in year one. I mean, I would probably give him a C, to be honest with you. I mean, listen, it, it's been it's been evident that Sean Payton didn't like Russell Wilson um, from the get go. It just seemed like this. It, the way that Russell Wilson plays the game, 
isn't this isn't the style that Sean Payton has been accustomed to playing. Um, so I just felt like that that marriage, that relationship was never going to last. And when you look at this this situation, this is this is a this is a financial situation that that they're that they're going through right now. So you heard Damian Woody mention Sean Payton never really liked Russell Wilson. And even Mark Schlereth had talked about the culture. I go back to the day that he was introduced in March of this year. And do you remember that video? Like, I can just picture it. Sean Payton, like, looks over to, to his side when somebody asks him about all of the people that Russell Wilson had working on his team inside the Denver Broncos organization, like his own nutritionist, his own quarterback guy, all of those people, you know, kind of following the Tom Brady method that was towards the end of his time in New England. And Peyton, without saying it, like, directly, he said something like, well, I've never, we've never had that any place where I've worked, but you knew, okay, the leash is short for Russ here. Like, that stuff is not going to fly. And the stuff he got away with in that first season in Denver is not going to fly. I don't fault Sean Payton for trying to steer him clear of that. I just, Mike, am I wrong for thinking he's kind of treated him like a jerk this season? Because there are places where the offense has improved. And there are also places where it hasn't. And I'm not so sure that Sean Payton, who was supposed to come in and fix Russell Wilson, has lived up to being able to do that when he told us all directly that you know his plan for Russ was getting him back to the version we saw in Seattle. Right, but what happened maybe happened is that at some point along the way, once he actually started working with Russ, he realized that that maybe wasn't possible. And I'm not saying that that's what he saw. I'm just saying that is entirely possible because you can have all the conversations you want with people before you get there. And both Mark Schlereth and Damian Woody were talking about that earlier today. That, you know, yeah, they probably he talk, probably talked to Pete Carroll because the coaching fraternity is very small. When you're talking about, I don't think he probably talked to Nathaniel Hackett, but, <laughs> you know, probably talked to Pete Carroll, probably talked to some other people who have, have worked with Russell Wilson before. So he maybe thought he was getting one thing and then came in and said, well, OK, this is where Russ is at this stage of his career. And yeah, Russ has played OK, but you heard Schlereth talk about it, that a lot of it's bubbles, a lot of it's screens. So the completion percentage, it looks better than maybe it would be, even though Russell Wilson still has a good deep ball. All of that being said, Sean Payton does deserve some blame in this, but when it is not a quarterback that, that you have picked, and this leads to a coaching carousel conversation for the offseason because when you're talking about jobs and attractive jobs versus not attractive jobs, sometimes you don't necessarily want to work with the quarterback that's been there. And, and that's uh, an interesting Fair. conversation to have when you're talking about, say, oh, I don't know, the Chargers job. But you look at Russell Wilson and – you figure, okay, I'm going to try and do this, but if it doesn't work, I know I'm going to have to move on because if I don't, I'm going to probably be out the door with, with Russell Wilson whenever that time ends. Mm -hmm. So I understand why Sean Payton did this, but he's not blameless here because you shouldn't berate the veteran quarterback on the sideline, and there are things that you could have done offensively, but don't forget, this team started at, what, 0-4? They, they had 70 put on them by the Dolphins, and they've still been in the AFC playoff hunt for a reasonable portion of this season, that's not a bad job coaching considering what he's had to work with. It just feels like he's scapegoated everybody, though. Going back to that USA Today interview where he threw Nathaniel Hackett under the bus and then drove the bus back over him and then over him again, and now how he's <laughs> I'm not treated, saying it was classy, Courtney. <laughs> but, like, 
When does the blame, when does Sean Payton start feeling the heat? Because very clearly when he was hired, he was given assurances from, from ownership. Like he goes directly to the owner. He doesn't report to George Payton, the general manager. That was by design because he's a veteran coach. He's won a Super Bowl. He doesn't have to follow the same rules and the same structure that you might see somewhere else. But at what point do we look at Sean Payton and say, okay, and I don't want to use the word like hot seat, but that the heat on him and the pressure on him to win is going to get turned up because next year, right now, I think they're drafting, uh, you know, somewhere within, you know, 10 to 12 to 13. Like, you're going to have to potentially have a bridge quarterback for next year, whether it's Jarrett Stidham or they go sign another veteran. Um, you're still going to be paying Russell Wilson to do, you know, to do all of those things and moving forward with what a, a new offense that you want to build. When, when do those questions start coming up in about Sean Payton? Because they came very quickly with Russell Wilson. Didn't feel like he had any real time for a drop-off. And Sean Payton now gets like uh, you know more of a cushion. It, it, that's well, at that's least how I feel. What ha- yeah, but that ha- that happens with coaches, especially when you're trying to change culture and you've had a couple coaches in a row where you've gone two and out, three and out, and you know if you're moving on from Russell Wilson that next year is probably a sunk year in terms of bringing in free agents, being able to maneuver some things, even if they try to go the New Orleans model. Eighty-two million is a bridge too far in trying to kind of push cans down the road with the cap. My guess, because I've covered teams where you've had to get out of the cap situation, is very simply this. Unless they are awful next year, Courtney, it's probably not until 2025 where Sean Payton really has to go and win. Yeah. Because it's probably that third year where he ha- you you figured out kind of what you're going to do with the quarterback situation. You've got more of your people in there, whether it's front office, whether it's actual players – that's when, if you're Sean Payton, you're going to have to go win because next year, if they move on from Russell Wilson, is probably going to be a sunken cost year from a cap perspective and also potentially from the type of talent you're going to be able to put on the field, both in depth and maybe even some starters. Russell Wilson signed a five-year, $242.6 million extension last offseason before the start of the 2022 season. That might go down as the worst trade in NFL history. The other one could be Deshaun Watson and the cost that the Cleveland Browns paid to get him from the Houston Texans. What are the other worst trades in in NFL history that we're missing? I was about to say in in sports, but if you you know, let us know what you're thinking. Triple eight say ESPN eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six. We'll get to your calls here in a little bit. But next, we switch gears, heading into some Thursday night football between the Browns and the Jets. This is Unsportsmanlike. It's Mike. It's Courtney. It's ESPN Radio. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio has you covered for bowl game action. Tune in today for the Bad Boy Mowers Pinstripe Bowl, followed by the Pop-Tarts Bowl and the Valero Alamo Bowl. Coverage beginning 2 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and over on the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Mike Rothstein sitting in for Evan Canty and Michelle on Unsportsmanlike on this Thursday morning. Please welcome in our good friend Aaron Goldhammer for, from ESPN 850 in Cleveland, host of the really big show. And we were just talking off air about gross things that you've eaten, Aaron. I was just <laughs> clued in on some of the bets that you've lost and some of the things that you've had to eat. So thanks so much for ruining my appetite here this morning. But make my appetite for this Thursday night game between the Browns and the Jets. Increase that because we know that this team is eligible for the playoffs tonight. If they win or if they tie the Browns, that is, they're in the postseason. How... What is the feeling like around this Cleveland fan base right now, considering the roller coaster ride that has been precipitated by the quarterback position, multiple quarterbacks this season in Cleveland? Courtney, first of all, my mom, you know, is so proud of what you just alluded to. Um, second of all, to whet your <laughs> appetite for this game. Uh, when the Browns clinched their playoff spot in the COVID year 2020, they only allowed like 9,000 people in the stands. And in 2002, when the Browns clinched the playoffs, I mean, it was a fun accomplishment, but I don't know that anybody thought the team had really had a chance to go places. So for like a whole two generations of Browns fans, tonight has the potential to be a really important historic night because it's something that they've never seen before, celebrating the coronation of a team that people in Cleveland are starting to believe really has the chance not only to get into the playoffs, but actually to do some damage and do something significant. And I don't know, throw the Super Bowl words around uh, once they actually get there. So we're expecting a giant party here uh, in Cleveland tonight. I'm downtown right now kind of looking around at the empty parking lots, and it, it's totally the calm before the storm because I'm expecting it to be probably the wildest atmosphere in the history of this stadium which was built when the team came back in 1999. So, Aaron, I actually was there at the 0-16 parade not too long ago. Does has that, like, where they were then and that they had a parade around Cleveland Browns Stadium <laughs> to, to celebrate, you know, slash mock their 0-16 season, has that been brought up at all recently of where this franchise was, like, really five years ago to where it's gotten now? I mean, I don't know that you need to bring it up. It's all part of the DNA of being a sports fan around here. So that not only, I guess I'll put it this way, not only did they lose the 16 games in 2017, the second winless season or whatever in NFL or the third, you know, the Bucks or whatever, but they also went 1-15 the year before that and 3-13 and the year before that. And, like, I did post-game shows after all these games. And it was oh, just loss after loss after loss. So I think, you know, part of what makes winning sweet, you know, if you're, you know, the Steelers and you're fighting for a playoff spot right now, oh, okay, great, you know, you got six Super Bowls and Mike Tomlin's never has a, had a losing season. Big whoop, I'd rather just argue about whether we should fire him. 
Um, in Cleveland, we appreciate every win more than any other town because we went years without having a victory Monday. It's funny. One of our sponsors uh, sponsored that year Victory Monday. They, they sponsored the Monday after every Browns win. <laughs> and, guys, we actually had to go back and refund them the advertising investment because it wasn't our fault, but the Browns didn't win any games. So they didn't get any sponsorships. This year they've won 10 games. We've had 10 Victory Mondays, and every one has just compounded on itself and felt like a really big, awesome deal. So – in Cleveland, when you get a sunny day, when you get a victory Monday, you just appreciate it here more than maybe you do in any other NFL market. Yeah, whoever is sponsoring your Mondays on ESPN 850 in Cleveland, certainly getting a nice return on investment this year. It's Aaron Goldhammer joining Courtney Crone and Mike Rothstein here on Unsportsmanlike. What did Joe Flacco unlock in Amari Cooper? I know that last week might not be the norm going forward where he, where a player is 265 receiving yards and two touchdowns, but this level of chemistry, and you can even throw David Njoku into the mix here too, but it we never saw this between Amari Cooper and Deshaun Watson. What is Joe Flacco doing to get this out of his receiver? Well, first of all, I mean, Joe Flacco just has a really special arm. You know, I, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a Browns quarterback. I don't know that there ever has been a Browns quarterback who throws as beautiful a ball as Joe Flacco does. And some of these catches, it's almost like the ball is catching Amari more than Amari is catching the ball. And then other ones, you know, it just has built a level of confidence between the two of them that Amari feels like any ball that gets thrown up by Joe Flacco, he's going to come down with because he's a really physically gifted wide receiver. I guess watching every play, Courtney, it was coming with Amari and Deshaun. You know, they, they had hit a couple of deep passes. Watson went 14 for 14 and a half in Baltimore before he got hurt, and got knocked out for the year. So I guess I'll take a little umbrage with you saying that it looked like they didn't have any chemistry at all. I think that, not that to was this starting level. to build a little bit. Not to this but, level, but, but, not to what we've seen the last couple of weeks between Flacco and Amari Cooper. And and also, I mean, I bring up that David Njoku example because before that game three weeks ago, whoever they played before the Bears, like he had never had a multiple touchdown game in his career, and that was seven years in. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, Joe Flacco is hands down by far the most experienced and best quarterback that either one of these guys has ever played with in Cleveland. He doesn't deal with some of the psychological impact and stuff that Deshaun Watson is trying to go through. So I, I think to a large degree, it's just that simple. I just think Joe Flacco has come in here and been awesome. I, I don't know that over the last month, there's a quarterback in the conference or in the NFL that's played as well as him. We're talking to Aaron Goldhammer of ESPN 850 in Cleveland, and also our friend here on ESPN radio here on Unsportsmanlike. And you mentioned a word that in Cleveland and in Detroit doesn't get talked about all that often, and that is the word Super Bowl, or words Super Bowl. And we're talking about Joe Flacco, who could, has been to a Super Bowl before. It would be unlikely still, but they're both potentially going to be in the playoffs. Would Lake Erie explode if Cleveland and Detroit got into the Super Bowl and faced one another? Like, what would happen in this segment of the country if that occurred? Uh, th this has come up, and I think, you know, you you've spent some time in Detroit, Michael. Like, yeah. I, 
I think it would be the most expensive Super Bowl ticket of all time, first of all. I mean, there are people in both markets that say they would take out mortgages on their house in order to be there. So you think the Cowboys would have an expensive Super Bowl ticket? Like, no. People in Detroit and Cleveland would do everything possible in order to be there. And it would be so unthinkable for either one of these teams. You know what the funny thing is? For the Browns, like, it's not that they've never won a Super Bowl. It's that they've never even been Neither is Super Bowl. It's sort of, it, and Detroit the same. It's sort of their level of pain. So, like, yeah, if you're 85 years old, you can remember championship years from these teams. But the vast majority of the people alive in the market don't even remember <laughs> their teams being good, let alone, you know, having a chance to go play in the biggest game of all. So I don't think anybody would work in Cleveland for the two weeks leading up to the game if the Browns made it to the Super Bowl. And if they won, I don't think anybody would work for the six months after. I think it would just be – I mean, this place went nuts when the Cavs won the title. I, I think that nothing would get accomplished in Cleveland for months on end if the Browns were to win the Super Bowl. Well, unfortunately for you, you work in sports, so you would have to work throughout all of this. Uh, it would be another marathon Stretch for Aaron Goldhammer. 11 wins on the table for the Cleveland Browns tonight against the New York Jets. That would match their total from the last time. They made it to the postseason in the 2020 COVID era, but that was a completely different feel. I'm sure that this game tonight taking place in Cleveland is going to be a good one. Hey, Aaron, we appreciate it. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you, guys. That's Aaron Goldhammer. You can hear him later this morning, ESPN, 850, 8.50 a.m. in Cleveland. You can also hear him right here on ESPN Radio. Straight ahead, do the Commanders now have to draft a quarterback after their recent benching? We'll get into that next after this from Vivid Seats. Bowl season, basketball, hockey, and pro football are in action, and Vivid Seats has it all for you and your ticket gifting needs this holiday season. See every one-timer, every touchdown, and every slam dunk live and in person with great deals on great seats. Plus, with Vivid Seats Rewards, you earn rewards with every purchase. They're here for us fans offering unbeatable rewards like surprise seat upgrades, free tickets, annual birthday discounts, and more. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This is the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. Okay, so I know this. This is the Batman theme. Yes. What I don't know, or what I didn't know, was the stuff that you guys were playing in the control room between 
the Mark Schlereth clip of what he said about Sean Payton and the job he felt he did in year one. That, and then going into (laughs) Damian Woody. So at least I'm like, did did Javante hit the wrong thing on the board? Was that a mistake? But apparently it wasn't. No, Courtney Cronin, Mike Rothstein, unsportsmanlike ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Um, can Pat, can you explain how this Batman thing came up this morning? Because it just felt like a very random conversation that I was not a part of until somehow we got dragged into it. Uh, well, we learned this morning that Javante absolutely loves the 1996 or 1966 not. television show uh, Batman with Adam it. West and Cesar Romero as Joker. Don't was, even know who that is. He painted but, but over why, his why short trip. You're, you're, you're not crediting Burt Ward here. That's unfortunate. True, but he, Javante didn't mention him. He just mentioned Cesar Romero and Adam West. Okay, Pat, you said that Cesar Romero is his favorite actor, and Javante made it sound like he has no clue who that is. Which Respectfully to Cesar today. Romero. He's got a who Cesar Romero movie on in the control room right now called Weekend in Havana, so I don't know. That would be all of us. All of us is in here looking at the same TV. Can you guys change the channel to watch some I was just saying, I feel, I, I I feel asked, like this was not actually put on by Javante. I asked Javante if we could change it, but he said, no, I love Cesar Romero so much that I want to keep watching this. And he loves Adam West's Batman. Never say these words in my life. Okay, I've got a question. <laughs> Insane. <laughs> There's even we even have a sign right here. It says it. It's like Javante says was actually reciting character. quotes from the movie earlier. Which well, movie? Yeah, the Caesar Romero movie or Batman? From Which movie? movie that we have on in here? Okay, I've got to ask a question because, like Javante, I have no clue about Batman. All I know is that the music that you played, the like happy Batman theme, and then the like the transition in between scenes, yeah, this. <laughs> those are a little bit different tone than the Christian Bale Batman, Heath Ledger Batmans of the 2010s. Like, when did Batman go so dark? From like happy-go-lucky, pow, and all those things that you had just mentioned, Mike, that felt more cartoonish to, wow, this is some deep stuff right. uh, playing out on in the dark night. I think it went, I think it's because there's more anti-hero, like more tenor of anti-hero within our entertainment now, right? Like it goes back to Tony Soprano, where the anti-hero, the, dark, more, the darker level of television has become more prevalent than it was in the 1960s where if you go find the stuff from the Batman TV series, literally, if you haven't seen this, and I'm guessing most of our listeners and people who are watching us on ESPN, you have not Adam West or Burt Ward would go like this and punch. And then there would be a giant pow or blam or something like that. Like that would fill the screen. It was like the yellow text bubble, right? Yes. Like, yeah, it would be pink or, or red or whatever. Yes. It would just be, and it was kind of almost like caricature, of a cartoon where I think that when starting with a Michael Keaton Batman, you know, with Jack Nicholson as a Joker, it became much more of a serious and much more of a kind of a drama almost than what the 1960s Batman was, which was much more of kind of a, I would say a laughing comedy tongue in cheek type of thing. It's, this is what you're here for on ESPN Radio, you know, Batman analysis through the years and through the eras of of DC Comics, and obviously also we can do some Marvel too uh, next hour if you want. I would, you you would have me so lost. Look, I asked the ignorant question and I got yelled at by everybody. I thought I said it's Batman 
Is it Marvel? Only Pat and they were yelled like, at you. Well, you kind of had a little tone with me there, like, because I was like, oh, it's Marvel, right? And they're like, no, what is wrong with you? You idiot. How could you I possibly not right. know? <laughs> That's DC in your own, comics. Courtney. That's in your own head. We were just like, no, it was DC. And no, but there was definitely there. an element of how on earth could you not possibly know this, you ignorant fool? And I Pat? don't know. Is that like. Can, are, can someone just give me like a 30 second answer? The difference between Marvel and DC? Cause I don't know it. I really they, don't. And I don't know if that makes me a bad company person. Cause isn't, isn't Marvel a Disney thing? Yes. Marvel, it is. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. I don't educate me, please. I don't understand the difference between the two. They're two. They were two different comic book companies and therefore two different comic book superhero, uh, you know, trees, superhero legacies, superhero, uh, trying to blanking on the word. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that it, was a it, really good, succinct way of describing it. I'm sure Pat would have given me some sarcastic answer and made me feel even dumber than I already do. That I don't understand the, the best, difference between the superheroes and who's in what clique. And because isn't um the best way to describe it, Courtney, is this: it's Greek mythology versus Roman mythology. Okay, like you know well, how they have they have similar deep. things but different uh <laughs> different you know gods but different sure. heroes. It's, it's basically like, that. Like DC is one. Marvel is another. So what's That's the Spider-Man easiest way for a lay in? person to understand. What is Spider-Man in? Are he and Batman buds? Spider-Man, Spider-Man is in Marvel. Okay. So they're not friends. I mean, they have done crossovers in the past. See, that's where um, I get confused because I know I've seen a lot of these superhero figures together in the same setting. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, so been? Superman is DC. Okay. Batman is DC. Okay. Iron Man is Marvel. Um... Spider-Man is Marvel. Learning. Captain America is Marvel. Uh, I mean, the Joker is DC. Like, basically, anyone who's in the Superman-Batman universe is DC. And everyone who's, in, who's been in, like, that. the Avengers is Marvel. Okay, I won't forget that because now I know. And if you want to make Batman references the rest of the show, I'll try to pick up on it. I can be a fast learner if I need to be. Um, yeah, well, but- we'll, have to, we'll have to tone back Javante's references to 1966 Adam West Batman <laughs> because he loves it so much. By the Javante, way, Javante, that's like you. double your age, right? Yeah, that's yeah, not, definitely triple is. his age. I'm going to like buy him a triple. DVD Javante's set not four. Of, I'm going to buy him a DVD set of all these movies, and then you can send it back to me when you're done watching it so then I can learn about the 1966 Adam West Batman. No, knowing Javante a little bit, I think you'll never get those DVDs back if you send it to him because he just won't watch did it. Did I just date myself by saying I'm going to send somebody you DVDs? You did. I Weird, mean. Weirdly, you're not the first person today to say they were going to send Javante a Batman 1966 DVD. Did you say that too? No, it was uh, another guy who works here, Sterling. Okay, so this is like a common theme. How about you guys put some sports on in that sports control room of yours at the worldwide leader in sports? Tell Javante to stop loving Cesar Romero so much, and maybe we will. <laughs> Do not well, know listen, who Adam that West is. punching someone would technically be a sport. That's kind of like boxing. There you go, sports. Yeah, okay, that's the fair. Roots hey, of at MMA. least you segued it. Yeah, there we go. We've segued <laughs> a thousand different ways, and we will. Spend the rest of our day watching these movies. No, we won't because we have actual sports to cover. Mike covers the Atlanta Falcons. I cover the Chicago Bears. Those two teams play together in week 17. We'll have a little bit more on that matchup. Plus, all of the quarterback benchings that took place on Wednesday. It was an onslaught from the Denver Broncos to the Washington Commanders to hearing from Tommy DeVito, who has now been benched for the New York Giants. It's going to be Tyrod Taylor playing for the Giants in week 17. Which benching? 
carries the biggest significance for the 2024 NFL Draft. We discuss that next on Sportsmanlike ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Unsportsmanlike podcast on ESPN Radio. You can listen to Unsportsmanlike live weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on Sirius XM Channel 80. You can also watch on ESPN2 and on ESPNU. Unsportsmanlike with Evan Canty and Michelle. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.